Will Lutz from 33 yards. And that kick is good. The Saints win it. It is 1 a.m. in Buffalo, New York, Sunday night into Monday morning. Wow, what a day, what a day. These Saints games, they take, it feels like, weeks off of my life. I've said to Tammy a few times, like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. Like, I don't know how much longer I can feel this way, but... You know, there's only a couple things in my life that make me feel like I feel when I'm watching a Saints game, the emotions that are involved. And it's funny, as I get older, it takes so much out of me emotionally and physically to watch a Saints game, especially one against a division rival with the amount of penalties we had today and the just the way the game flowed. That takes so much out of me that that I'm pretty much done with football for the day. It doesn't matter how good the games that are left. I don't have anything left in me to watch them. But uh, welcome to the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett. Uh, we're getting towards the end here. A few weeks left. Hopefully we can get, you know, three shows or so more. But I'm not sure how many we'll get in between now and the end of the year. When we get close to Christmas, what happens is I kind of shut down for a few weeks. And then New Year's comes and we start the next season. So season 10 will start in January. Now here's the thing. I'm having surgery on January 15th. Uh, but I want to do at least one or two episodes of season 10 before surgery. Because otherwise, chances are the season wouldn't start till February or something. Uh, but I finally got that date for my surgery, which means that will be three surgeries in 289 days. Which feels like a lot. Uh, it's been a tough year. Uh, but I'm glad to be doing this show, and we have a great one today. I'm really excited about it. So Jimmy Trena is on the show from Sports Illustrated. We recorded on Friday. It's a fun interview. Uh, I go at Jimmy a little bit about him and the past that he has given Howard Stern and the Howard Stern show. I can't believe um, the past that he's given him. And it's funny. Uh, he doesn't budge, and I don't budge, and we go at it pretty hard. And there's this one point where I try to find some common ground and get ready to move on. And he thinks I'm playing a drop. But it's really Paula who has activated Alexa in the background and is playing Sirens by Pearl Jam. Um, and uh, it's a really fun interview. We talk about New York radio follow-up on what we talked about with Neil Best. Uh, we talk about the NBA ratings. We talk about Howard Stern. We talk about Curb Your Enthusiasm. We talk about his podcast. This is a really fun interview. And we'll do that in a minute after the break, the first break. And then Greg Prado is on the show for the first time ever, and he wrote an awesome book about Soundgarden, and I had a chance to read it, and Greg will come on and we'll talk about, it's about 40 minutes, 35, 40 minutes, and it's really all over the place. <laughs> it's kind of just a hang, and I don't know if it's as structured as maybe it should have been, uh, but we just talk about music, and it's a really fun, and if you like Bands like Soundgarden and Pearl Jam and uh, Alice in Chains. You'll really enjoy this. And I love doing rock stuff. I want to do more in Season 10. Like Season 9 started with Eddie Trunk on the first episode, right? So 
I want to do more of that. I want to do a little bit more with music and TV. And that doesn't mean like I want to, you know, cover the American Music Awards 2020 or something. Like I don't care about that. I want to talk about things I love and can be passionate about and get other people who are experts on those topics and just kind of have fun because I think sometimes this show works the best when it's just a hang, right? I think for the most part, people like – when Jeff Perlman's on this show, they I think people like it better when he's not promoting anything and we just bullshit than when he's promoting a book and we focus on that. Now, I think both are good uh, and I think both have merit, but I want to do a little bit more of the hang and we do that with Greg and I'll be interested to get your feedback on it. Uh, but those are the two interviews for today. Jimmy Traina from Asai, who hasn't been on since February earlier in season nine. And then Greg Prado, who's making his debut on the show for the first time. And I'm sure it won't be the last. I'm excited to, uh, to do more with Greg in the future. We exchange emails and numbers and stuff. And, um, I'm sure we will talk a bunch between now and then. Uh, also on the show today, I want to start something and see how it goes. Here's the thing. I'm a huge fan of Jim Florentine, who is a comedian and a podcaster. And he kind of does this in a way, so I don't want to, to be guilty of gimmick infringement here. But I want to do one last thing today on things people say on the internet that drive me nuts. Internet cliches and things people do and follow that just make me sick to my stomach and make me so mad and so angry. And I hope that that's not too much of what Jim does. But I'm going to try a few today. Uh, You'll see what I mean more. And then I'd really love to have your feedback and see if you can tell me if you'd want me to do more of them. Um, I think you get a little bit of insight into the rage uh, that's in my heart sometimes for the way people talk on the internet, which drives me absolutely nuts. For example, just to throw one out, hold my beer. Ugh, makes me want to puke when people say, hold my beer. Oh, just the worst. So I'm going to tear some of those things up in one last thing. You tell me if you like it. Tell me if it's too much like Florentine's thing. And what he does on his podcast, which is one of my favorites. It used to be called Comedy Metal Midgets, but now it's called Everything is Awful. Uh, So we'll try that for one last thing, I think. Unless I change my mind last minute. But here's what we're going to do right now. Oh, one last thing I want to mention off the top. Spotify. So the Sportscasters is on Spotify now. I had a few people who had emailed me and said, listen, I, I listen to my podcast on Spotify now. And I'd love to listen to yours on there. It's the last one I listened to that isn't on there. So I finally took care of that. Uh, it actually looks really nice. I think the shows look really nice on there. Uh, the the interface is really nice. I don't use Spotify much. I'm an Apple Music guy. But I did subscribe to it on there. And um, I've heard from a few people that they've subscribed on there. So if you're interested, we are on Spotify. And I'll tell you more about it uh, when we do the plugs after the Prado interview. But. It's lined up like this for today. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to Jimmy Traina. Uh, then we're going to do the book club. Uh, then we'll talk to Greg. Then we will do one last thing and plugs and finish out the show. Uh, with that said, I think we're ready to go. I don't think I had anything else I wanted to say. Uh, crazy Saints game today. The Bills are still kicking ass, which is, is crazy. Oh, this is interesting. Look at my predictions. I have them here for the NFL predictions. Let's go through these real quick and see how I'm doing. 
All right, AFC East, I had the Patriots. That seems like a lock. The North, I had the Steelers. That's probably not going to win. I think that the Ravens are clearly winning that division. I had the Jaguars for the South. That's not going to happen. I had the Chargers in the West. That's not going to happen. And I had the Chiefs and the Colts uh, as my wild cards. Chiefs are going to make the playoffs, I think. I don't see why they wouldn't, and the Colts could. So I could get up to four playoff teams out of six, but didn't do great there. Cowboys, uh, NFC East, uh, they're still leading that. I had the Saints in the South, they're leading that. I had the Seahawks in the West, they could easily win that. And then I had the Eagles and the Packers, a wild card. My only bad one is the Bears in the North. I don't think they're winning that. So I could get five out of six there and do really good. Um, Yeah, so that's where that stands. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back with uh, Jimmy Traina from Sports Illustrated. All right, our next guest uh, lives in New York City, and he's been a regular on this show for a long time and is the host of the Sports Illustrated Sports Media Podcast and the author of Trainer's Thoughts. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Jimmy Trainer. What's up, Jimmy? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. It's always great to have you on the show. I love having you on. Um, what's new? What... uh? Let's start here. Okay, so I agree with you on something. Red Zone is at best your BTV with the volume off. That's that's the best it can offer you. That's it's, that's pretty much how I use it. Yeah. And, um, you know, listen, I, I think one of the things that I keep trying to reiterate is that I'm not saying Red Zone is terrible. I'm saying it's it's not good for me. It, I'm, I know I'm the issue here. Most people love it. But for me... You know, even last week, for instance, uh, I watched it for a little bit at one o'clock, and they were showing tons of plays from the Jets Redskins game. There shouldn't be one. I don't care about touchdowns. I don't care if there's a ninety. Like there should not be one play from that game shown, and they show so many. It's just it's crazy to me. It, it's it. Listen, it's there for fantasy players. Clearly, that's who they're catering to. I get it. It's not for me. They also have the Fantasy Zone channel, though, for fantasy players. This is what I'd say I like about it. So I have two TVs in my main room. I have, you know, the big TV and then a bigger, like, not as big TV. It's still pretty big. but um, yeah. And on my main TV, I put my Saints game. And then I like when the Saints are playing, I can put the red zone on the other TV because it's continuous play. So whenever the Saints are on commercial... I can turn my neck over, and at least I have something. Right. I don't have to go searching on the remote. You know, I have something I can take a look at and see something for a few minutes till my attention has to revert back to my game. When right, I, exactly. When yeah. I don't enjoy it, is the Saints are off, and I'll try to put it on because I don't know what I want to watch or whatever. I'll put it on. I get bored quickly then, and I'll, I'll find yeah, myself I, searching I, for a game instead. Like, oh, I'll just watch I the whatever ima- game. I can't imagine just having one TV and just having Reds on. I just can't. 
for all day. Andrew was pretty cool with you, though, I thought, about it. I thought that was a good spot. He was phenomenal. Yeah. The, the, I saw uh, the Sports Media Podcast. It started way back in the day with our friend Richard Deitch. Jimmy inherited it when he left, and it's just as strong uh, with Jimmy if you haven't checked it out. But, yeah, after Jimmy made his re- uh, revelation that he did not like uh, Red Zone, uh, Andrew Siciliano was nice enough to come on. It was interesting to me when he talked about why there was two because that was always my greatest mystery because at first I was like, yeah, you know, like I was talking to one of my friends that was watching Red Zone and I was talking about the host and he's like, what the hell are you talking about? The host is I'm like, no, what are you talking about? What do you mean the host has blonde hair? Yeah, and I mean the reason makes total sense with uh, cable companies, you know, not wanting to promote DirecTV for seven hours each Sunday, so – yeah, yeah I, I just had no, I just had no clue. Uh, let's let's go in, let's go into Stern for a minute. I want to talk with you about it because mm-hmm. it's amazing to me, and you know this is all in good love, Jimmy. You know I'm a big fan of you, but it's amazing to you or to me that someone who's such a great critique and so honest about media has given Stern such a pass. Let me lay out my case. Did you hear stuttering? Did you see the clip of stuttering John inter- trying to interview Shuley? And Shuley, like, unbelievably calls, like, security on him, which blew my mind. But did you hear the line he, he gave him? Did you hear, just – what? Go ahead. Wait. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm just trying to get what you're referencing. Stuttering John – So he's trying to do his interviews again. Stuttering John's trying to, like, revive that. He has this – I'm saying, is this an old clip no, or a it's, new clip? No, it's new. It's new. Oh, yeah, I've, I've not heard this. So okay, so Stuttering John has this platform called tvremix.com. It's four ninety nine okay. a month. And I bought it for one month because they actually did have something really cool on it. They had Stuttering John, Jackie, and Billy West doing like a round table. Sort of like Table for Three on the WWE Network. Have you ever seen that show? Yes. It was kind of just like that but without dinner. And those three guys just talk. It's like a five-part. It's actually really cool. It's not vindictive. They just kind of just talk about their experiences on the show. It's great. It's worth five bucks to watch that. It's like five parts comes to like two and a half hours. Billy West is great on it. Um, it's really fun. But anyway, one thing he's trying to do on there is kind of revive his interviews. And so he goes up to Shuley in a hotel. I believe this was recorded when they were in L.A. for the – when they were down there at the Sirius Studios for a week. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he goes, his question to Shuley, which I thought was just a brilliant line, whether you believe it or not, you'll agree that this is a brilliant line. He goes, isn't it ironic that the guy famous for the website Jump the Shark now works for a show that has clearly jumped the shark? You got to admit that's a great line by John there. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Anyway. And- Point being, I'm not sure I'd call that a great line. That's a good line. Nice. That's a that's a good job by John. Here's my point: 72 employees they have for 112 shows. Nothing is authentic. Everything is fake. Everything's a bit. You know, the revisionist history, rewriting the past of the show. There's literally a black list of names that can't be said on the show. You know, ignoring Artie Howard 101, deleting his his name from or his audio from bits that they play on there. You know, you can't mention John the way that Howard treated Scott, the engineer incorrigible. Look at the new Gary puppet and compare it to the old Gary puppet. I mean, that's a, 
that's an amazing representation of the sanitation of uh excuse me the um help me out here the the dumbing down of the Howard Stern show I mean it's just brutal and it seems like you I know you still enjoy it so I guess I don't know what I'm looking for you to do but I'm not just I'm just not so sure that what are your thoughts where are you at right now with everything I've said so far well the most fascinating thing about that whole thing you just said is that you mentioned the new Gary puppet so uh, you're still listening or you're not? Uh, you know what I do enjoy? I don't listen to the show per se, uh, but I love the app. They've done a great job. Now, I'll give credit where credit is due as well. I'll be fair. I love the app, and occasionally I'll watch a couple three-minute videos, two-minute videos. And I've always said he is a fantastic interview. I disagree with any of his critics who say he's not a fantastic interview. He is. And when he has someone it's, – it's like a podcast sort of to me. It's a little bit guest-dependent. When he has a guest I enjoy, boom, I'm in for that hour interview. Love it. Love listening to Howard. I think that's when he's at his best now. What I don't enjoy is the when he signs on at 7.05. When he signed on at 7.05 in the beginning of the serious era, era, you might have an hour discussion that was so real about the weekend, what they did, you know, who they saw. There's no... Authentic, there's nothing authentic in the show anymore. It's so produced. 72 employees for 112 shows. I mean, it's so produced. The goofy outfits. And I know, again, I like the app. And I know that's kind of for that to kind of boost the visual aid. Fair enough. Shouldn't kill him on that. But the show is not any good as a show. Bits and pieces can be great. But the show is, I mean, if it, if whatever, what's, what's your heyday? What are the three best year period to you? Um, three best years. Yeah. Like Um, give me a three year period where you think it's its best. I'm one of the rare people that prefers the Jackie K rock days to the serious Artie days. Oh, I don't know Um, that that's rare. I don't know that that's right. Oh, okay. No, I think um, huge segment. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even really know how to break it down in years. I don't. I mean, to me, I don't. I, I've never. But, I mean, I know things I've loved on the show. I don't know what you know. Whatever year the Gary tapes took place, or whatever. Okay. Year, so to you, um, the fastball of the show is the K Rock uh, Jackie era. That to you is the. the well, I mean, I, it's. Not, I wouldn't say fastball because I think there was a fastball at Sirius. I just my favorite. I always preferred the Jackie years. Now, listen, it's a tough thing for me because I love, love, love Sal and Richard. Okay, and I, I like love Sal Ronnie. and Richard. I like and Ronnie. Those those guys are serious, not the K Rock days. But right. I here's what I, I I loved the I loved his battles with the SEC. I loved him right. um, battling Tom Chiasano, battling um, the guy who would hit the dump button. Right, right, yeah. Oh, that's right. great. So yeah. I, so for me, the the Jackie K Rock years, I, I always loved that stuff more. I, I hate saying more. I just, I, I was more. Um, I think that was just. A, I enjoyed that a little. The serious stuff is great with with Sal and Richard. Like I said, they weren't part of the K Rock days, so it's all. It's like two different eras to me. I just, you know, I love those K-Rock days. See, I, I th- love the twenty minute commercials. That's for sure. But. There's been great stuff on satellite. The first contract like the first five years uh almost up to me like the birthday show is sort of like a cutoff to me the huge what was it his 60th birthday the huge show they did um you know phenomenal yeah almost from that and back in serious i think is great 2006 to 2000 was that january 2011 i think 
Um, it was 2013. Yeah. Oh, was it that late? Uh, maybe. Yeah, because I went. That's the only reason I know. Maybe the uh, death of Eric the Midget maybe is another um, marker um, where you lose Eric. I just think there's just like there's nothing authentic about it. It's so contrived. It's so forced. Everything's produced. There's nothing real. I don't believe anything I hear on there. I, I just can't get lost in it. Like the reason I asked you what the peak was that I was going to say, like if that's a hundred mile per hour fastball, right? With those with those years, what do you think his fastball is at today? Like you, you I mean, do see a, a decline, right? Or no? It's a completely different show today. I mean, you're comparing apples and oranges. It's not even... But it's the Howard Stern show. Right, but in those days, he didn't do 90-minute interviews. In those days, he was not able... He In those days, he didn't have the restrictions that he has on him now that sort of everyone has, him not, has now, which is why I think they use the pre-recorded bits is because, you know... Everyone is basically involved in cancel culture and is ready to fire people at any moment. So obviously what he did in the past, he can't do now. So I don't – to me, it's a completely different show. It's not what it was during the K-Rock days. It's not what it was during the early serious day because the times have changed and he's also 65 years old or whatever it is and – Right, and I don't um, begrudge him for not throwing baloney at a stripper's ass anymore. I don't begrudge him for that. What I begrudge him for is for, like, the Hollywood Howie persona is just, it's inauthentic. It's not real. He's just, he's not bringing, he's not creating, and, and even if in 1994 or 2006, it was, he was still a, a character on the radio, uh, the percentage of realness of that character was much higher than what it is now. You know, I just don't believe in the dynamic. I don't believe in anything that I hear on there anymore. Everything is contrived and fake and forced and everything I loved about it is gone. The comedians are gone. You know, the like I said, just look at the two Gary puppets like the the Marcy Turk era is a disaster. I think I don't know. I just I'm just surprised that someone who's loved as much about it as you have um is as big a proponent of it as you are, I guess. And and believe me, I'm willing to be fair. I've said I love the interviews. I think he can be a great interviewer. Now, I'm not that interested in hearing, you know, sometimes he, he's a little guilty of having the same people over and over again, which is ironic because, of course, I'm guilty of that as well. Welcome to the show for the 15th time, Jimmy. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, he's Howard Stern. But um, I don't know. Maybe we spent too, too much time on this already, but... Um, no, I, I just, I don't, I mean, if you have a question, I'd be happy to answer the question. I just don't know. Well, I, I, I wanted to just I more like have a discussion don't, about the show. I don't know what else there really is to say about it. It's, you know, like people like what they like and people don't like what they don't like. And everyone's entitled to like and don't like what they want. So I'm not. Okay. A few questions then. Do you think the show is overproduced? Uh, I, I don't, that's never like a, I never think, oh my God, this show is overproduced. I can't listen to it. That's never crossed my mind. No. Okay. Interesting. I get the the times where I shut it off and I don't want to listen to it or when there are people on or bits on that I don't like and then I just put on music. And what don't you like? I'm just curious. High pitch Eric. Okay. High pitch Eric. Um the other the other uh Jeff the Drunk. You don't like the whack back that much. Well, no, I 
well, I don't like those black guys. I mean, I loved Eric. I loved Beatle. I loved Hank. Hank was amazing. I loved yeah. King of peace. All Blacks. I right. loved Shower Shoes. Okay. All I right. don't, yeah, I don't Sour like Shoes Hypergeric. I don't like Jeff the Drunk, and I don't like Wendy. And I don't like, um, you know, Marianne from Brooklyn sometimes. Also, you know, I don't like Ralph. I mean, it, you know, those are the sort of the things that make me do you think, put on music. Do you think Howard takes real phone calls anymore? I think some are real. Do you think, I, think I could call in and get on the show? Depends what you want to say. Okay. So only if. Okay. In 1992, you agree I could call in and say anything, probably, right? Right, but in 1992, people weren't trying to get everything canceled. But what would I say that would get them canceled? I have no idea. I mean, if you, I don't know, something racist, something. Well, what show has ever gotten canceled because a caller called in and did something racist? Opie and oh, oh, a caller. Well, I was going to say Open Anthony got canceled because of you know whatever something stuff that they did. Something and, that Anthony did in the street was why it got canceled right. the last time. Right. Yeah. So I mean, nothing. They they've taken they take calls or did up until the last minute, and I don't know. I disagree. I guess I disagree with that premise that it's because of cancel culture. I just think it's more of an well, element, I, element of I, control I, and controlling the message and the narrative. Right. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely wants to control what's on the show. Do you think it was a disgrace the way he treated Scott the engineer and Scott the engineer's wife? I don't, I don't know how he treated them. Well, I think it's pretty widely accepted that Scott the engineer had to beg for money on the internet while his wife was dying of cancer. His boss is right. a billionaire. Yeah, but do you know if Howard gave him nothing or if Howard gave him something or what well, the circumstances were around? Okay, as far as... Howard hasn't sued uh, John Stuttering John for his book, right? Uh, maybe right. he just doesn't think it's worth his time. Uh, but in uh, Stuttering John's book, he did write that he, you know, has it on good authority from someone in the show that Howard, you know, told Scott that. Right. So, so we're going by Stuttering John, who to me has zero credibility. Okay, you don't think he has on. any credi- credibility, Stuttering John? Because no. a lot of things he said have been proven correct, like the like the ban list that he put in his um, his um, book has been proven. Uh, a lot of what he said over the years was proven yeah, by the seminar people... that leaked. What about that seminar that leaked? Tell me you watched that. The getting things done seminar. I mean, that's the most embarrassing moment of his life, Howard Stern, right? He thinks he created the Smashing Pumpkins and that um, and encouraging his employees to make fake burner accounts to pump up his show. I can I can assure you that he is far from the only media member who creates burner accounts to pump up their work. Yeah, I mean, I would ex- expect is, the host of the sportscasters to do that, not the Howard Stern show. I can assure you there are people at every media company who do that. Uh huh. So you 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 watched that and didn't find it embarrassing for Howard? No, no, no. Oof. Wow, we're on a different. We're, we all have to agree to disagree on that, but I think we do agree um, that Howard is the greatest radio personality of all time. Uh, I'm not saying he isn't, and the Howard Stern Show is the greatest radio show ever. Uh, and I've spent hours of my life enjoying it. So as cynical as I may sound now. Uh, I do have to at least say that we can't agree that Howard is the greatest radio host of all time, right? We agree there? 
Or do you? Oh, have a... absolutely. Okay. All right. So I just. No, I, I thought you were playing. I thought you were playing. I thought you were playing an audio clip. That's oh no, my daughter. My daughter. My daughter is in the background playing Alexa and running around singing. I got. It. Yeah. So. <laughs> I thought you were doing a drop. I thought you were doing a drop. That's oh no. Like, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. It's just Apollo moment there. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with I agree with that statement 100. percent Okay, I just wanted to end the Howard Stern portion of the program on good terms and friends. That's all. I appreciate that, though. I'm glad we had that back and forth. Yeah. I appreciate your honesty on that. Uh, let me ask you this. You were talking in your column this week about the drop in the NBA ratings, which I thought was pretty mm-hmm. interesting. And you mentioned yep. something I totally agree with, that it's based on a ton of factors, um, just as it was when the NFL ratings struggled was based on a ton of factors. It's never one thing, as you mentioned in the column, when something like that happens. Right. I was surprised mm-hmm. you didn't mention China. And the China scandal for for as one of the reasons you don't do you not think it was one of the reasons or just you just didn't mention it like it was just yeah I, 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 go ahead I don't believe for one second that someone who watches the NBA on a regular basis has decided to stop watching it because of China okay but you do think they stop watching it because LeBron's on too late yeah I, I'm a perfect example of that when LeBron was on the Cavs. Anytime he played on TNT or ESPN, I would watch it. I can't watch games that started. I'm old, I'm old and I get up at six o'clock in the morning every day. I cannot watch games that start at ten thirty at night and end at one thirty in the morning. I well, can't do it. And that's fair. And that that's also anecdotal. And I think it's also anecdotal if I tell you that well, you know my grandfather won't watch because of what happened over the summer with China. My grandfather's liked the NBA for fifty years. He won't watch it anymore. So there's at least one. Yeah, you know, I would, I would, I would guess there are more people in the can't watch LeBron on the West. Oh, Coast that might be true. Then the that truth. might be true. Yeah, yeah no, I don't. Dis- I'm not disagreeing there. I was just surprised that because again, I thought you were being really fair and saying there's a ton of issues. I'm just surprised you didn't think that was one of them. I mean, that was a disaster for the NBA this summer. No. Well, for about a week, and then people were over it as soon as the season started, and LeBron was putting up triple doubles every night, and I didn't see one word or hear see one tweet or hear one word about China. Well, isn't that true of almost it, almost everything? Does anything last for more than a week? Well, no. I mean, listen, the NBA and NFL, they're still talking about Colin Kaepernick. I mean, that issue did never really went away completely, whereas I think the China issue is completely gone. I mean, I haven't heard about that. That was a three-day issue, basically, and, you know— what did you think? What do you think about the coverage of Colin this week? It's a it's a really 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 ugly, messy, impossible to. Um, I, it's just the story is completely out of control. I think you have both sides who are hard to defend on some things and easy to defend on others, and everyone has their own perspective. Everyone has their own narrative. Uh, it's, it, I mean, the, I don't think the coverage of Colin Kaepernick has been good since day one, and uh, this week was a disaster of epic proportions. Did you did you watch the? Um, I'm not even sure. Is it called First Take? Still, the show with uh, Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman. It is called First Take. Um, I did not watch whatever. I didn't watch anything, so I don't know. Okay, I've never seen the um, show, but I did see a few clips from the show right. regarding this issue and I thought it was pretty interesting because I think what became polarizing was Stephen A. Smith was on the I guess anti-Colin Kaepernick side 
Right, he said that he doesn't think Colin Kaepernick wants to play football. Right, that he wa- I guess his main point was he wants to be a martyr, not a football player. Right, right, uh, exactly. Criticized him for pulling a stunt over the weekend and then basically said, you know, I'm going to watch and named all these quarterbacks that work and this guy doesn't want to work. And then Max Kellerman right. came on and, and I guess took the other side, which created a large backlash of like Max Kellerman is blacker than – um, Stephen A. Smith, and then that's where it spiraled from there. That's where it got like it, it's so, ridiculous. It's you know? so it's it's so wild that they would yeah. be on opposite ends. I mean, how how unbelievable! <laughs> Imagine that, that right? Shows, they just both happen to be on you know polar opposites too. Both agree. Yeah. You think he's going to get? Funny how that works out. Stephen A. Smith is going to get ten million dollars a year to do that show and work for ESPN. Did you hear that? Uh, I thought it was eight million, but James Andrew Miller, different. I guess. James Andrew Miller, I guess. Um, was it Marchant who said eight, and James Andrew Miller said he thinks it's going to be ten? Oh, oh, oh. close yeah, enough, yeah, yeah. right? Close enough either way. Is there a more right, right, right? Unbelievable, he can get that much money there, right? Well, um, you know, this is a business where there's a couple of factors. I mean, he he does take up a lot of hours of airtime for ESPN. So he is providing content for however first take, I think is, I don't know what, two or three hours. And then I guess he has a radio show. So that's probably another two or three hours. So he's giving them whatever it is, four to six hours of content. He does um, go viral. Oh, that, oh, that's what they do. They have him there. He's doing the, the uh, NBA pregame show. Now that's what it is on Tuesday nights. And right. you know, listen. The bottom line is that if you're in this business, the only the where you make money is TV. TV is where the money is. Yeah. So you know, he's on TV five days a week. Then he's doing an NBA pregame show. Um. So, I mean, yeah, it's an absurd amount. I'm not completely shocked, though. I have to say, you've had a lot of fun uh, with it. Is Andrew Marchant? That is his name, right? I'm not butchering that, yes. am I? Okay. Nope, okay. you got it. Yep. Uh, you've had a lot of fun on your show with Andrew kind of following the the saga at WFAN. And I've had yep. a lot of fun following it as well. I had Neil Best on this program uh, to talk about it a little bit. I love Neil. Great dude. Loves Cornell hockey. Um, what do you think about replacing Francesa? What do you think the play is if you were in charge? Um, if I was in charge? Well, if I was in charge... Uh, you know, it's crazy. I really haven't thought about it because, you know, I don't I don't think about if I'm in charge. I always think about, like, what is FAN going to do? Yeah, I was going to ask um, you that, too. So if you want to start with that one and kind of think yeah. about. Well, I think, I think, you know, I think all the reports lately are true. I think they're going to move Joe and Evan Joe to and that Evan. two to seven spot. Yeah. And they'll put Maggie Gray with someone in the in the 10 to one spot. Um, Boomer in the morning. Boomer and Geo in the morning, right? Yeah, yeah. That's not changing. Um I'll say this. I think uh, I, I, can't, I don't have a specific person or people, but I do think one of the problems FAN has is I do think they desperately need to get younger. I think Francesca's audience is very old. Right. Um, you know, Joe Beningo is 100 years old. Steve Summers is 100 years old. The guys on the weekends, Richard Neer. Uh, you know, they tried to do that with Maggie, Bart, and Scott, and then obviously Mike came back and sort of blew that up. Um, and now that supposedly Bart Scott is leaving. So I, if I was FAN, uh, what I would be concerned with is getting some younger people in there. That's what I would be concerned with. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if, 
you know, they think that's a good plan, but that's what I would do because a lot of FAN just feels very, very old. You know what's so interesting to me, and I mentioned this to Neil, and I get your take on it, is it was a huge story a couple of weeks ago when Michael K had won the first month. Or it was reported that Michael K had won the first month right. in the ratings book. And when I read that, my reaction as someone who's followed these things for years, which I know, you know, you and I enjoy this stuff. Maybe the average listener probably could care less. Um, mm-hmm. I've been a nerd about radio, you know, ratings since my days as a Stern fan back in the nineties. You know, because that was always a huge topic on his show, obviously. Uh, but I, the first my, my first reaction was I thought this was a three month race. You know, like when it did is. this become yeah. a monthly thing? And I was talking to Neil about, it and he's like. Look, it is a three-month race, but I, but Andrew and I put up a story about the first month, and it gets more clicks than the Islanders having a 16-game winning streak, or you know, or whatever else they might write that day. It's just right. became become such a huge topic. What do you think about like the dynamic of the battle between the two of them, and how a three-month, you know, how it's been so intense that a, a story that essentially is irrelevant because nothing matters about one month can be such a huge story. You know, you know, even though it's a three-month battle, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I think this is. I mean, I think it's as simple as you know. People like seeing the underdog take down the favorite. Mike was number one for a really, really long time. Has been completely arrogant about being number one. Uh, you know, brags about it, takes his shots at the competition, um, and now people see that there's a chance that he will get knocked down to number two, and. I think that's why now it's actually, and I think you also hit the nail on the head there. You know, people like Andrew Martian and Neil Bess can post a story about the monthly rating and it's going to do big traffic. Right. It's just, you know, everyone, everyone in New York who is a sports fan has an opinion, good or bad, on Mike Frances and Michael Kay. So those stories appeal to a lot of people. And I think once you know those companies saw the traffic that rating stories do, that's why they probably have Martian and and Neil Best break them down month by month, like you said. Even though the ratings book is a three month period, but I do think it's. I mean, I think if Mike Francis has been number one for thirty years, and Michael K wins the first month of a ratings book, which he probably never has before, I think he did win one month gonna, before. Know, yeah, I think it's the second time he won. A I'm month. saying the first month. He usually. Oh, okay. I don't think he's okay. The first month. I see what you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. So then they could sort of maybe predict. Oh, okay. Here comes. This is going to be the time he loses the book. You know, and that adds another layer to those stories. So you, I think that's really what's going on there. You agree that Mike hasn't lost a book yet, right? Like, you can't claim victory over Mike without counting his streaming in there. It's, I agree, okay. 100%. Um, let me ask you this about Mike. Do you think he made a tactical mistake uh, by not blocking? I know he can't block Funhouse from existing, but he can certainly stop Funhouse from running his videos and his right. proprietary... And and he did it for a period, and then he decided not to do it. And ultimately, do you think he should have stuck with his gut there? Do you think that that has turned out? Because I know when he did block it, you know, the argument was he's crazy. This is reaching a younger audience. This is good for him. He, he should want this to exist. Any publicity is good publicity. I think it's been part of the takedown of him. You know, I think just the tone and yeah. the t- tenor of that, I think it was a huge mistake. I wrote about this last week. Um it, it to me it's a, it's a truly fascinating story because it's amazing WFAN or or Entercom whatever you want to say could get that account shut down in one second if they yep. tried mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's they didn't want the bad P 
PR, which would only come on Twitter, of course. I mean, this and is last the for a day, like, thing about this. This, yeah. is, this is only the Twitter thing. It was only a Twitter thing. But if they get the Funhouse accounts shut down, they get people on Twitter ripping them for a couple of days. But I also think that if they get that account shut down, you're never going to hear about Mike again. Because the only time you hear about him now is when it's something embarrassing. On Twitter. The show gets no buzz. Right. Right. But what happens is when Funhouse posts those clips, it then moves from Twitter to NewYorkPost.com, SI.com, uh, AwfulAnnouncing.com, and NJ.com, and Newsday.com. So you it's, think the ratings been, battle – I'm sorry. But you think the ratings battle and all that has become the big story it is partly because of Funhouse? You think this would be less of a story and less of a big deal if Funhouse was blocked? No, I don't think the ratings battle has, but I do okay. think that – I do think that people's desire to see Mike get taken down has I increased. Okay, right. Yes. Yeah, I just think it's totally killed his reputation in so many ways. And the guy is the guy is so good at he never misses a mistake. You know what I mean? Like he's so good at it. You know, and Mike is not good. Well, and Mike is not it, good. Well, we talked about Howard before. Howard was great at fending off any criticism of Howard Stern. Right, you know what I mean? Like he was amazing at that. You wanted to come at the king, like to steal a line from the wire, you want to come at the king, you best not miss. Everybody missed on Howard, right? He would Fend off everyone. Mike just doesn't seem to have that. He gets defensive. Well, he hangs up. Mike. You know I mean, all that. Mike, but Mike brings this all on himself because he lies. If Mike didn't lie, there'd be no Funhouse clips. <laughs> I mean, I you know, one day you say this team's going to win, and then the next day you say I never said they were going to win. Well, right. I mean, well, what do you expect? I mean, if he just didn't do that, there'd be no clips. I, well, I would say seventy percent of the clips are fair, and thirty are a stretch and pretty much unfair. I'd say it's about 73, well, I mean, maybe listen, even 80, 20. They are stretching or whatever. But to me, if Mike didn't make stuff up, backtrack. Well, like, never okay, wrong, here's what I mean. Know. Let me give you an example. All right. Sure. So, so if Mike says, if Mike goes 0 for 3 picking football picks, right? And then the next week he says, I'm doing great at football picks. There's an example. A lie. He's got him crushed, right? If Mike says, I don't think the Yankees are very good in the spring. I think they're all going to win 80 games. And then he watches 30 and says, wow, I think this team is really good. That's not a lie. He just changed his opinion well, has, based on 30 more games of information. Right? That's not well, a lie. Well, but here's the element of that you're leaving out. Okay. Mike doesn't say, oh, I think the Yankees aren't really good. And then when they're good, he goes, oh, I see. I think. What Mike does is screams, berates, and insults people while he's saying it. And that's another reason why people want to go after him. Okay. I think we're sort of saying the same thing in a way where I'm saying, like, when people come at him, he's horrible at deflecting that. He can't handle it. Like you say, he berates people. He hangs up on people. He insults them. You waited three hours but, uh, for but that. He, but, he does, but he does that to people who aren't coming after him. <laughs> I mean, that's what the – he's not nice to people. And I think that's, you know, a big issue in people wanting to see him fail. Fair enough. I I think we do agree on a lot of that. Um, I just think some of the like just to defend him a little bit. Um, yeah. Because I do have a special place in my heart for him. Um, because you know the Mike and the Mad Dog show is probably why I do this at all. You know. Um, right. Because it's the greatest sports radio show of all time. But again, right? but to me, it's similar to Stern. Right. The, oh, the it's Mike jumped the shark. Oh, show, I agree. 
Yeah. Is not what it was, you know. Agree, and I don't listen to it, you know, daily anymore. I never yeah. missed a Mike and the Mad Dog show if I could help it. You right. know what I mean? Um, yep, I know. Yeah, no, I agree totally. Uh, but I but I do, and just like Stern, I do have a place in my heart for Mike. And, and what I would say to defend him, and why I say it's 70-30 or 80-20 of fair versus unfair, is sometimes the clips are just what I said. He has one opinion, and then time passes, and that opinion changes, and the clips are just presented together as, look at this right. idiot. You know what I mean? Where there isn't a show in the world um, that has to fill up four hours, five days a week. Uh, we know he doesn't work that hard, but whatever. Like, you know, there isn't a show in the world that gives one opinion on one day and has to stick to that in- opinion for infinitum. Well, but, right. But I think I think the difference there is, and, I, and listen, I, I agree with your ultimate pre- premise. I, I'm sure if I went through every Funhouse clip, not every single one is fair. I'm not disputing that. But I do think that the difference there is there are people, most people in sports media, let's, for example, say, you know, there are a lot of people like myself, for instance, who yeah, are all in on the Browns. Yeah. We're all in on the Browns this preseason, and they were going to win, you know, 12 games or the playoffs. Now they think. We sit there and we say, you know, wow, I was so wrong about the Browns. I can't believe it. I totally misread that one. Mike will say, I never said that. Right. Right. It's the that's element that's of self deprecation. He just can't <laughs> accept or embrace. You know what I mean? Like, right. That's just not right. in him. Oh, we to- I, right. I think we totally agree on this, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think we uh, disagree on pretty much anything. And I think the main thing we agree on is he should have stopped those clips. Uh, I don't. Yeah. I think they've I, done I way do, more harm than I, good. I, I do agree with that. I yeah. do agree with you there for sure, yeah. Uh, let's cut, let's uh, hit on a couple quick ones, and I'll let you go. We're talking to Jimmy Trainer. Sure. He's at uh, Sports Illustrated. I love his column every day. It's one of my favorite things to do in the morning when me and my daughter are eating breakfast. I love bringing up um, – it used to be called Hot Clicks. Now it's called Train of Thoughts. Uh, it's just a really cool five, six, seven items every day. Uh, clips you might have missed that happened on Twitter overnight. Whatever. It's a great column. Check it out. Um, at Jimmy Traina, right? It's just as easy as that for uh, yep. for Twitter, correct? Yeah, of course he's there. And I mentioned already the um, SI Sports Media podcast uh, is phenomenal every week. And the latest one uh, was Joel Klatt, correct? Correct, yep. Correct. Yep. Yeah, Joel Klatt. And you had a great one with Rich Eisen a few weeks ago uh, where he, I thought, gave you a great nugget, which I thought was like, wow, if there's anything awesome about Rich Eisen's life, it's this. He gets to like go to a screening room and watch future episodes yeah. of Curb Your Enthusiasm and like give yep. notes. Like, how sick is that? It's pretty crazy. I think he has seen. I think he's, he's seen said this he's seen season, the first right? Five episodes. First five. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah I think that's what he said. Uh, which uh, Curb comes back in January, and uh, that interview with Eisen was probably in September. Yeah, we did it with the first week of the NFL season, so it was in September. So that's how far in advance he got to see the episodes, which, like you said, is pretty, pretty, pretty impressive. Unreal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Curbs back in, in January. Um, I've been thinking a lot about um, the streaming services. Me and you and I are still have direct. Well, you don't have direct TV. They ruined your roof. Apologies for that. Mm-hmm. But we still have remotes and channels, and we're old school about cable, right? We're not like cord cutters, uh, uh, right. you and I. And um, But I've been thinking a lot about people who are cord cutters, um, and even us, where there's so many damn services, right? Like we went into this era yep. where 
Oh, four ninety nine for that. Oh, nine ninety nine for that. Oh, okay, I'll get that. And then one day we all looked at our bank accounts and said, "Holy shit, I got one hundred and thirty nine dollars a month on four ninety nine this yep. and nine ninety nine that." When you look at the streaming wars, especially as it pertains to sports or pop culture, things we love, where do you see it going? And what do you what do you see as critical and not critical? And like, where 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 do you stand right now as you look into twenty twenty? We just added Disney Plus, right? Uh, Peacock is going to be a thing soon. They're going to have all the Seinfelds. That's going to be one of their big, uh, uh, big selling points, I'm sure. Uh, Apple Plus is now in the game, which I appreciate them giving it to me for a year for free. But I don't know who would pay for it. There's nothing on it. There's like two shows. Uh, but what do you see? What what do you what excites you? What are you interested in as the media critic uh, for sports? What are you interested in? I. <laughs> To be honest, I mean, I just I'm not interested in any of it. I just want my cable package. Right, you want it all I mean, gone? Yeah. Um, you know, I use Netflix a little, you know, here and there. Uh-huh. Um, you know, listen, I have two nieces; they're 14 and nine. Um, I mean, they, they don't watch anything on TV. They, I mean, there could be a show that they like that's on TV at the time, and they, they prefer to watch Hulu. it right on the on the iPad or right. on the on the laptop right. on Amazon Prime and Netflix. Right. Um. So, you know, I listen, I think here's where I, I, I'll give you a serious answer on this. Sure. You know, all this stuff, like you said, Disney Plus, Hulu, this, for me, it's easy for me to ignore that. To me, I'm waiting for the day and I pray it doesn't come or I hope it comes after I'm long gone. I pray for the day where they don't put games I want to watch on a streaming service. You know, they've done it a little right. bit here and there with like a regular season baseball game on Facebook. It's a disaster. Right. Or thank God we're um, not big soccer fans, right? Like if we were big soccer guys, you'd have right, to have right. ESPN Plus right. or whatever or big boxing. They put an NFL game or a college football playoff game or a Major League Baseball playoff game on a streaming service only. Then my life will really be affected by it. And listen, what am I going to do? I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna I'll watch subscribe, it. Subscribe, right? Yeah. With it. I mean, listen, it's, I'm, I'm in it a little bit now because without without uh, Sunday Ticket, I, I do stream the NFL games illegally on Sundays. I won't mention the Reds website. But, <laughs> um, you know, so I'm in it a little bit there, but, you know, that's a, that's a different story. You know, if I, I could always get the DirecTV package if I wanted it, whereas if, you know, I worry about the day they go to a streaming-only, app-only, paid subscription. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I really don't. So it's not really something, but it you know would I ever be surprised if that happened? No, I kind of feel like Everybody that's a, money. a threat that's been hanging over us our whole lives. You know, I feel like my dad said to me like in nineteen ninety one, enjoy the Bills game on Channel Four, or the Saints game because they're putting it on pay per view and we're not buying it. You know, like I feel like that threat has been there for a long time. Probably not as serious yeah. as when my dad thought so as it is now, but. Um, do you do you have ESPN Plus? I do not. Peyton Manning has a really good show on there. If you had a chance to see, I know they show clips of Monday Night Football sometimes. I got to give yeah. props to him. That's a good show, Peyton's Places. That's a really fun. He did a good job on that. I don't know if there's a question there, but it's worth your time. <laughs> it's worth your time to check out. I got you. Do you do you? Right, I'll take the recommendation. Have you um, had success with the websites and streaming the games like that? Has that worked out for you? Yes, it has phenomenally. Yeah. Huh. Because I've tr- I tried yeah. to do that with hockey games in the past and really struggled with it. Oh, preseason football I struggled with, too. Well, yeah. I mean, I used to. And, um, you know, 
I used to back in the day stream stuff like out of town college football. I mean, I'm talking a while ago, and it was right. a disaster. And a lot of people told me when I told them I would I was getting rid of Sunday tickets. They're like, "Oh, you can stream any game. You can stream any game." And I'm like, I always feel like that doesn't work. It buffers. It times right. out. It this pop up, but it has been. It could not possibly have gone smoother. So, wow, amazing. All right, two more quick ones. I promise I'll let you go. Yep. Fox has a Super Bowl this year. Give me the top three right. games that are possible based on the actual landscape of the NFL. Give me, you think, their top three Super Bowls they would want. Um, oh, you mean for a rating? Yeah, for a rating. Give me, you think, their top three. I mean, obviously, maybe they would want, you I know, Dolphins say, versus someone, but they're not making it. You know, but what would be the top three based on they have a chance at that one? Cowboys, Patriots, Cowboys, Chiefs, Cowboys. Um, I mean, what they'd want is Cowboys, Cowboys or someone, the New York market. Right? Yeah, that's not happening. They, they right. want the Cowboys. I think Cowboys Patriots would be the one would be their biggest. Uh, which is funny because we're getting that game this weekend. But right. they would want they would want Cowboys Patriots. You have the Cowboys, which is the number one rated team, and then you get the Patriots, who everyone. Uh, you know who's the, the number dynasty, blah blah blah. Who's the number two NFC team? I think you you basically you put the Chiefs as the number two AFC team. Maybe um, Baltimore. I might three. say the Bears. The Bears. Okay. The Chicago market is huge. Chicago is huge. I think they're out of um, it though. Give me someone who can make it. They're screwed. Oh, who's in it? Yeah. Um. So let's see who's in it. Um. You got Philly. you got Saints Packers. Uh, right. Vikings, um, 49ers. A really, really small market. 49ers. I guess maybe the Niners because of the LA market, even though those people don't really care about football. You think 49ers, uh, guess, uh, 49ers Patriots is a better number than Breeze and Brady Saints Patriots? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I do. Uh, last thing, our buddy Chris Russo. Uh, we both love him. He's great. I still have fun listening to him. I think you still have fun listening to him too. He yep. he had one of his great rants the other day. Romo got in his crosshairs. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you think about Romo here? I think this is year three, I believe, for him. He's getting ready for a new contract. I see the Saints played in his second game ever. It was Saints and Patriots? Him and Nance called it, and I thought watching that game, wow, the next John Madden is here. Uh, I don't get to hear him that much. I mostly watch, obviously, the Saints and NFC stuff. Uh, but I still, every time I've heard him, have enjoyed him quite a bit. What do you think about uh, the maturation of Tony Romo, the um, play-by or color guy? And what do you think about Russo's rants and his points, fair, unfair? Where are you at with Romo? Uh, I love him. I, I still think he's the best analyst to listen to. I think he's, you know, the most unique. I think he's knows different. He's not your cookie cutter analyst. I think he brings a lot to the table. Uh, no one better for me to listen to each Sunday. Is it a fair critique of him that he it does talk too much, fills too much of the space there? No, because I mean, which analyst doesn't? No, I told, he talk I more agree. Than no, I agree. Troy, Troy Aikman or Booger McFarlane or Phil, uh, or, um, who am I leaving out? Collinsworth. I mean, Collinsworth, I think sure. they all talk, they all talk the same. Basically. Improvement in the Monday Night Football booth this year, the same or worse? 
Not a great listen. Not a great listen. Not a great listen. Better than last no, year, though? Even slightly or no? Or same, on par? I mean, I guess. I guess maybe it's a little better, but I would, uh, I would not bank on that duo calling games for many years to come. Joe more the problem or Booger more the problem or just the combination uh, bad mix? Combination. Combination. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, again, Jimmy Traina is a good friend to me on this show. He's always nice to me. comes on all the time. Put up with my Howard Stern stuff earlier. <laughs> Thought he fought me off pretty well. Um, I think you got. I can't. I can't wait to go listen to Stentology. <laughs> yeah, with Artie edited out. Um, you see, I was never an Artie guy, so I guess I don't get annoyed by all this. So oh my god! Fine for me. I think Artie is the. If I had to rank all of the stern personalities, I think the only one I'd put ahead of Artie is Howard. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say thank you at Jimmy Trainer on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, the SI Media Podcast, Train of Thoughts Every Day. Anything else you want to promote? Oh, you're doing the awesome gambling stuff every week, which I love. Your partner is hilarious, too, by the way. Oh, the the oh, are you about the videos? Yeah, the videos. You're still doing those, I'm right? I'm not doing those anymore. Oh, those were those good. Nick, Nick, Nick does them on his own. Nick is still doing them, so you should definitely check them out. Nick is yeah, funny. Nick I like I like Nick. Yeah, yeah. You should. He's still doing them, so they're there. I, I'm doing... I'm doing a gambling podcast now every week, uh, NFL oh. only. Uh, so, yeah, so that's why. But my main focus, obviously, is the SI Media Podcast and Train of Thoughts Every Day. What's the um, the gambling podcast called? It's just, it's the MMQB Gambling Podcast. comes okay. out every Friday. And uh, me and two co-hosts, we just uh, go through all the games and preview it from a betting standpoint. All right. Awesome. Thanks for everything, Jimmy. Okay. Take care. Thanks for having me. Could have used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering down She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high I want to thank Jimmy Trainer for being on the podcast today Always a pleasure to have Jimmy on I think he's wrong about Howard Stern Crazy gives him too much of a break but respect uh, jimmy for holding his ground there hope you enjoyed that all right book club quickly today the sports betting for winners tips and tales from the new world of sports betting by rob mish i am finishing this book this week and rob will be on the podcast next week Uh, so we'll finish out the season uh, with rob one of the last interviews of the season will be about this book in my hand right now sports betting for winners Tips and Tales from the New World of Sports Betting by our friend Rob Mish. And then in a minute, we are going to take care of a book by Greg Prado, which we have been working pretty hard on. And uh, it's his Soundgarden book. And I wanted to mention with Greg, uh, not only does he have this Soundgarden book that we've been reading uh, that, of course, is called... What is it called? Let me get the title here. Dark, Black, and Blue, The Soundgarden Story uh, by Greg Prado. And um, really enjoyed it. We're going to talk all about it. And you'll hear me mention uh, in the interview that he also had another book come out last week about the band Kiss. Uh, And that book is called Take It Off, Kiss Truly Unmasked. 
Uh, it's nine ninety nine on the ebook store for Apple. Uh, he's got another uh, book called The Air Car Story. I saw that today was the anniversary of Air Car's death. Uh, he has that book as well. He's got books about Primus. He's got a book about uh, Blind Melon. He's got a book about the 1980s New York Islanders. Uh, he's got a book about Yacht Rock. He's all over the place. He's got a shit ton of books. And it was an awesome time uh, talking to him. Uh, so without any further ado, let's do that. These two books are the last books for the book club in 2019 and season nine. So we're going to finish these two out, finish this one this week, finish that one next week. And then if there's two more podcasts, which I'm sure there will be at least two more, uh, we'll do like a Christmas books. I'll make some recommendations for Christmas gifts uh, for books that have been either in the book club this year or other ones that I've enjoyed. Uh, So with all that said, let's take a break, and we're going to be coming right back with Greg Prado. Our next guest today is from the greater New York City area. He's a Stony Brook University graduate and is the author of several books, including one about Soundgarden. And we're going to talk about that with him today. He's making his debut on the Sportscasters. A warm welcome to Greg Prado. What's up, Greg? Thanks for coming on, man. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. Congratulations. Today is, and we should do this right off the top, today is the the release date of your latest book about the mighty kiss. Would you like to uh, quickly talk about uh, take it off kiss truly unmasked? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the reason why I did this book is because there have not been to the best of my knowledge, any, or if there has been, they're no longer in print uh, books solely about kisses, uh, non-makeup era. So, uh, and I know previously there was a book that was put out through KISS officially called Behind the Mask that touched upon the non-makeup era, but that was primarily through Gene and Paul talking and not the other members. So with this book, Take It Off, I I did extensive interviews with uh, Bruce Kulik, who was uh, the guitarist in KISS from 1984 through 1996. And I also interviewed a bunch of people that were also closely associated with KISS, such as uh, Ron Nevison and Toby Wright, both of which uh, produced KISS albums. Also, uh, songwriters with KISS, uh, touring members of KISS. And also, I interviewed uh, Ace Frehley, who was KISS's original guitarist. And although he wasn't a member of KISS during that era, he uh, he rejoined KISS and played on the uh, on the KISS MTV Unplugged album. So I, I asked him some questions for that as well. Yeah, the book is called Take It Off, KISS Truly Unmasked. And listen... Uh, Greg was in with Eddie Trunk a couple days ago, and there is I don't there's nothing I could ask Greg that would be better than what Eddie asked. And that interview is available in SiriusXM on the app. Uh, the interviews stay in demand forever. If you just search Eddie Trunk, you'll see volume interviews, and Greg's interview will be in there. And they go into detail that I wouldn't be able. I don't just don't have the expertise, so that's the place to go. But I did want to mention it because it's out today. 
Um, and it looks like it's kicking ass on Amazon. Of course, it's available there and um, other ebook formats. Uh, Greg, I had you on because we have been reading as a podcast, uh, Dark, Black, and Blue, The Soundgarden Story. Uh, I reached out like, I don't know, a month or two ago and set it up. And I really enjoyed reading it. Uh, I've been a you know a fan of Soundgarden since ninety two, ninety three, something like that. I was in eighth grade, I think, uh, when I first heard them. I believe Headbangers Ball, a video. I believe I heard first. Right. Um, where do I want to start? Let's start with the style because I had read your book Grunge is Dead uh, a long time ago. And, of course, it's in the oral history style, and that's kind of what you're known for. So when I right. opened this, I kind of expected that, um, mm-hmm. but instead I found more of a, like a, narrat- like a, more of a narrative-type story, um, not quite in that style. And a lot of um, – which I thought was pretty cool because I didn't expect it – a lot of kind of personal um, thoughts on what you thought of the songs and what your, how your life intertwined with them. Uh, why did you go that way as opposed to your normal style? Yeah, there's been a few instances with the past books I've written, because I've done, I think, uh, this Kiss book, which is my latest book, is my 29th book overall. So the Soundgarden book, which came out a month or two ago, that's my 28th book. So the majority of my books, yes, you're right, are done in the uh, oral history style, because personally, I always usually prefer hearing the stories through people that were actually there rather than someone else giving you like a secondhand account. But there's been instances in the past where I've done books that have been have, that had a quote unquote narrative through it. Like for instance, about ten years back, I did a book called The Faith No More and Mr. Bungle Companion, and then shortly thereafter, I did a book called Punk Hardcore Reggae PMA Bad Brains, which was about the band Bad Brains. And yeah, those I I did uh, the old fashioned way. And uh, the reason why I did that was also this uh, Soundgarden book is when I did the book called. <clears throat> Grunge is Dead, that was done solely in the uh, oral history style. So when I, basically back then when I went up doing that book, which came out, I believe, in 2009, I thought that was probably going to be my uh, Soundgarden book because that book, a huge chunk of it is directly about Soundgarden. But since that book came out, so much has gone on with Soundgarden. They got back together, they toured, they put out King Animal, and then sadly, of course, Chris uh, Cornell died. So pretty much after that happened, I realized there was a whole other part of the uh, entire Soundgarden story that wasn't touched upon within Grunge is Dead. So I wanted to do a book, and it just seemed like that doing it through the traditional narrative style it, uh, would have been probably the uh, best way to do it. And, uh, I, and I also realized that I was lucky to have interviewed all of four Soundgarden's main members and also several previous members and also managers and producers throughout the years, so I knew that I had the basis for a good book if I wanted to do it through the uh, <clears throat> narrative style. So that's why I did it. And then uh, also at the uh, very end of the book, I have nine all-new exclusive interviews yeah, for this that... book. Yeah, those are great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cause yeah. I, with, those, with those interviews, what I tried to do is I tried to reach out to people that uh, were somehow connected to Soundgarden, so I interviewed Phil Anselmo from Pantera because... I remember Pantera played uh, some shows with Soundgarden back in 1992. And I also interviewed uh, Reverend Wharton Heat, because I know he toured with Soundgarden in 1994. And I also interviewed uh, Matt Pinfield, because I know he's done countless interviews with them. 
throughout the years. And, uh, yeah, I interviewed a bunch. Oh, and also interviewed Marky Ramones from the band Ramones, because I know that the Ramones toured with Soundgarden on Lollapalooza 96, and uh, the Ramones are big fans of Soundgarden. Now there's a picture of uh, the late, great Joey Ramone wearing a uh, Soundgarden bed motorfinger shirt that I've seen online before. All right, let's get into this. Let's do the do the Soundgarden thing. This is super fun for me. I got to do the Alice in Chains thing with Greg, or, uh, oh, excuse me, what was his name? David DeSola, I think, who wrote a really yes. good, yeah, great Alice in Chains book, which we covered a few years ago. But, so let's do the Soundgarden thing. So for me, so it's, it's, it's 2019, which means 25 years ago was 1994. I don't know if you ever just, like, thought about this, but, like, in a one-year period, in that one calendar year, Jar of Flies came out, Super Unknown came out, Vitology came out, and Nirvana released the Unplugged record. And if you go back just one quarter or so into 93, you also have Versus and In Utero. So just like that 18-month period or whatever, just incredible music coming out of the city. Obviously, there's even more than that when you go deeper into the uh, Seattle music scene. Uh, with several other bands, which you do really well in Grunge is Dead, and actually you talk really well about in this book as well. Let's kind of start there. It's so unique. So many people have, I feel, mentioned, and you talk about it in your book, how the Seattle scene at this time, how the biggest fans of the bands were the bands themselves. You know, I know Cameron Crowe and um, I think Jeff Ament and... uh, Stone Gossard and Pearl Jam 20 kind of talk about it um, in terms of their history and how important it was for them and how, you know, on a Tuesday night, they just like, oh, Soundgarden's playing here. Let's go see them or, oh, me puppets are here or whatever. And you kind of talk about that and how it was different than places like Atlanta and New York and the other scenes, which were much more cutthroat and um, and competitive. What about that and its importance kind of to the scene and its uniqueness overall in terms of music and um, how things played out there. Yeah, I mean, something that I mentioned in this book is, uh, for me, always the early 90s uh, Seattle grunge scene, I, I always thought that it reminded me of uh, the mid-'70s punk scene in uh, New York. So, like, for instance, you can go down to CBGB's in 1974-75 on any night and see the Ramones, Blondie, Talking Heads. You know, you, you, it was crazy to ima- right. imagine you, know, you could just do that. And then you also back up to the 60s, you know, you could think of if you were in England in the early 60s, you could have seen, you know, the Kinks, the Who, the uh, Yardbirds, you know, it's like there's certain points in time where you may just be in the right place at the right time, you know, and it seemed like for whatever reason, absolutely was going on in uh, Seattle at that point. Uh, For me, like you just mentioned that late 93 through 1994, there, there absolutely was a big explosion of all these like great classic albums. But for me, I think the big explosion of countless classic albums. You have to go back to 1991 because that's when not only Bed Motorfinger, Ten, right, and also mm-hmm. uh, Nirvana, Nevermind comes out. But then you also have Smashing Pumpkins, Smashing Pumpkins, Gish. You have Primus selling the Seas of Cheese. Uh, a few months later, you have Faith No More, Angel Dust. Uh, around that time, you also have My Bloody Valentine, Loveless. So you have all these classic albums that are, it seemed like almost, oh, and 
And then also in 1991, although uh, Nine Inch Nails' Pretty Hate Machine came out in 19, it came out in 89, 90. It wasn't until the summer of 91 that people really did that. It was, well, that, it was because Nine Inch Nails was on the first Lollapalooza. That's what really made them explode. So really it was for me, the late, it was in late 1991 that I always look at that it was just crazy that it seemed like almost every weekend, or I mean, excuse me, almost like every week you'd go down to the local record store and there'd be some brand new album that you'd check out and it wound up being this fantastic classic album that you're still listening to today. Well, yeah, the two best years for 90s rock are 91 and 94. I don't think any yeah. other year is even close, really. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. I agree. And, and it seemed like the scene, like everyone kind of thinks Nirvana, but it was really Alice in Chains and Soundgarden who really got it going and then obviously um, Pearl Jam and uh, Nirvana come a little bit later. Uh, but yeah, these guys are such great friends, and there's so much, you know, Eddie Vedder always talks about, and you wrote about this also in the book, about how during the Temple and the Dog recording, Eddie Vedder's just kind of sitting in the corner scribbling on a notepad, and it was Chris Cornell who told this shy kid, like, hey, why don't you be on this song with me? You know, this would be great as a duet, and obviously Hunger Strike comes out of that, and Chris Cornell was really instrumental in, in helping, um, I think, Eddie come out of his shell and be a bigger part of the scene. You mentioned that in the book. So I just think there's just this like cool friendship amongst the bands and uh, in an era that could have been more competitive. Now, the, on the other side of that, there's also, you know, Kurt Cobain, who, while he was very, very um, huge into uh, the Meat Puppets, for sure, um, and some other bands, he, he was also apparently hated Pearl Jam and was not a big uh, fan of Eddie Vedder, although Eddie seems to claim that by the end that that had sort of sorted itself out. Um, but some people, some people disagree with that. I'm trying to remember what you wrote in in, in uh, Death to Grunge about that. Is it your understanding that it worked out, or are you kind of finding that to be a little bit of revisionist history? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember at the time reading uh, that uh, Kurt was pretty vocal. There's a famous uh, Nirvana Rolling Stone cover story from uh, early 1992, uh, which he was uh, very vocal about not liking Pearl Jam, but. To the best of my knowledge, I don't think it was ever uh, Eddie Vedder that he had the problem with. For some reason, he seemed to single out Jeff uh, Ament okay. for some reason, but but yet he never explained why he felt that way. And you know, I've I've personally interviewed Jeff several times over the years, and he's always been a great you know guy. So I don't I don't know why you know why he would have had it, why he would have had a problem with him. But you know, who knows you know exactly what happened, but. Uh, Jeff uh, did tell me in the book, <clears throat> Grunge is Dead, excuse me, <clears throat> he told me that uh, he felt like that he was totally set up in that uh, in, in that Nirvana Rolling Stone article because Jeff they actually uh, spoke to. It was uh, the writer named Michael, uh, Michael Azarod was the name of that article. He, he later wrote a pretty famous uh, book about also Nirvana, the name of which right now escapes me, but... Uh, he said, uh, excuse me, Jeff, Jeff Immense said that he felt like he was totally set up for that. And uh, he, he, he went as far as saying in the book that uh, if he ever bumped into Michael, uh, like around that time, he probably would have wound up kicking his ass, he said, <laughs> which I thought was a pretty, I was a pretty, pretty a funny quote. So, yeah, so, I, I mean, honestly, I, I don't know what was Kurt Cobain's problem with Pearl Jam, but uh, I personally always loved Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Soundgarden, so... I never really saw much of a difference between those bands, personally. Uh, Come As You Are was the name of the book you were trying to think. Um, yeah, there you around. go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I kind of, I'm Pearl Jam 1, Soundgarden 2, Alice in Chains 3, Nirvana 4. Um, 
what what are you what's what's your those four bands how would you rank them uh, Soundgarden for me is always uh, is always going to be number one because uh, if, if I look at my top bands of all time I go with Queen number one Soundgarden number two ACDC with Bon Scott number three and then after that there's like 50 50, 50 like zillion bands that's right <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah but uh, solely uh, grunge bands I'll go with Soundgarden I'll go with Nirvana Pearl Jam Alice in Chains Okay. Do you think Soundgarden gets into the Hall of Fame this year? We're kind of jumping all around, but that's fine. We'll just do it that way. No, sure. sure yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to say that they will because the last I saw, like, I know that there's that currently that there's, there's a whole entire voting thing. Now, I'm not sure how, how many bands from the voting thing get in because I think Soundgarden's in the top five. So I don't know if it's the top five bands that get in, but I know they're definitely in the top five. So, so my, understanding, you know, my understanding is you, you get to vote for five on the ballot. And then there's okay. the, the fan voting, but that counts right. That counts as one ballot. Okay. So, like, the fan voting ballot is equal to Eddie Trunk's ballot. I know he has one. Okay. You know? And then, like, Matt Cameron yeah. Matt Cameron has one because he's in, right. he's in the Hall of Fame with Pearl Jam, which I think is really cool because he would be a two-time Hall of Famer. There's not a lot of those. Um, right, yeah. You know, so that would be really cool for, for Matt to be that. Um, all right. Yeah. We're all over the place. I love this. I like. I feel like I could do this for three hours with you. So, you love Ultra Mega OK. Well, you say a lot of great things about it. Um, Beyond the Wheel, All My Lies, great songs from that album that I love. Kind of a step back a little bit, maybe with Louder Love, Loud Love, and then you, you know, then the two great albums um, with Bad Motor Finger and Super Unknown. And I love in the book. And I keep trying to reference back the things we talk about that you talk in the book in case people haven't read it. But you just do a really cool thing where you just kind of like go song by song and you kind of say, you know, this is what we can, what we know it's about and this is what I kind of like. And, man, during – I was reading the Super Unknown chapter and I'm like, wow, like he does not like Fallen Black Days. I love Fallen Black Days. But we both agree that Fourth, on Ju- uh, Fourth of July is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I thought that was a really fun part of it. Uh, talk about a little bit about the growth of the band through the albums, and like, did you feel like when Ben Chopper came into the band that that's when they were truly their best, or what do you think about the lineups and kind of the progression as they go through those first four, you know, studio records, and how you think they evolve for the good or for for the bad, or kind of just generally in that first four kind of swing there. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I probably will always go with the uh, Shepherd lineup as my top one, but I think the lineup with Hero, though, is absolutely fantastic, and the only reason why I'm going with Shepherd lineup over Hero lineup is because uh, the, the Shepherd lineup had more albums, and also two of the albums uh, are amongst my all-time favorite albums, which is Bad Motor Finger and also Super Unknown. But uh, Hero, though, I think had a huge part in uh, helping create that original Soundgarden sound. And I think uh, the early Soundgarden sound, people kind of compare it to a lot of the indie bands at the time. It wasn't quite as, say, metal as maybe Soundgarden later became. So, uh, honestly, I really love uh, Screaming Life a lot. I love also <clears throat> Ultra Mega OK. But, you know, really... Ultimately, Bad Murder Finger and also Super Unknown are among. It's probably my top ten albums of all time. So, I'd probably have to go with that 
more. But, uh, yeah, I, I always wonder what Soundgarden would have gone on to do or, or what they would have sounded like if they kept a hero in the band. Right, yeah. that's really, And it's really interesting, like, Ben's kind of road to the band, too. You know, just kind of like <clears throat> a guy who was at so many of their early huge shows, like just a face in the crowd. And then, right. uh, you know, maybe similar to Jason Newstead, you know, um, eventually being. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's actually funny. It's, it's funny I just brought up Jason Newstead because I kind of look at it with, with Hero like I always wonder if Hero stayed in the band similar to if Cliff Burton stayed in also Metallica and same if Bon Scott stayed also in ACDC, if Randy Rhodes stayed in Ozzy, you know, I mean, there's always a lot of those kind of uh, types of scenarios. But the only thing that's different is that unlike. The three that I just mentioned, uh, Hero is still is still actually alive, whereas those other right. three guys uh, died. So but he, that's he, the only thing that's different. You kind of mentioned in the book he leaves music and he's like a really smart dude and went into like engineering or something like that, right? Yeah, from what I understand, he went back to college after he uh, left, and yeah, he did something with physics or some kind of like um, engineering or something. And he's currently in a band, I forget the name of it, but it's a, uh, I believe it's a all-instrumental band, and they're actually on YouTube. The name is mentioned in the book, and they're actually pretty cool. And, oh, and also, he was in a great band after Soundgarden called Truly, which is a very, very underrated band. They put out an album in, I think it was 94, called Fast Stories from Kid Coma, which is probably the most underrated grunge album. That album should have been a huge, huge album, and uh, I talked about actually in the book, Grunge is Dead, and I believe I also talk about in this book, which is called Dark, Black, and Blue, the Soundgarden story. What uh, kind of pissed me off at the time as a, a very big fan of uh, rock music was it seemed like radio and also MTV were embracing all these like poserish type bands. Well, I shouldn't say poserish, but bands that were definitely kind of just replicating Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, you know, bands such as Bush and Candlebox and like you know, those types of bands. Whereas there were several bands at the time that I think were very original and were also much more deserving, but either due to record company snafus or who knows, maybe there wasn't enough payola going around or some kind of BS. Right. Bands, yeah, bands such as Truly should have been huge. There's the band Brad, which was a Stone Gossard side band that I absolutely loved. There was uh, Sunny Day Real Estate. That was great. That should have been a lot bigger. So there were you know, several bands, I think, that should have been bigger. But, yeah, if anyone is listening that's not familiar with the band, I highly recommend Truly, and you can look up their album. It's probably on YouTube. It's called Fast Stories from Kid Coma. It's kind of a cross between Radiohead and also grunge and also psychedelic music. Another band kind of like that was um, a band called Second Coming. I don't know if you remember them. Like, they actually named themselves after the fact that they wanted to be in the second wave of Seattle bands. Um, and they had a... Right, yeah, I think yeah. Um, I'm uh, the bass player, his name, <laughs> oh, uh, Johnny Johnny Bacullis, I think is his name. I interviewed him for Grunge is Dead, and he was friends with uh, Lane Staley, I believe. I'm, I'm, but honestly, I'm not that familiar with that band, but yeah, I have definitely heard their name, though. Yeah, I have like one record from them. They have a cool song called Vintage, Vintage Eyes. Um, but yeah, they kind of came later. I just thought of them because you were kind of talking about like the second wave of bands or whatever and how some were derivative, but some were, you know, just kind of a cooler evolution of the scene. And there may be one I thought of that maybe would fit that. Um, let's do something fun because we're running out of time already and we're all over the place. Give me a because a lot of what you do in the book, which I love, is you kind of just talk about about songs and what songs you like and what they're about and who wrote them. And I love that about it. I all in on that. Give me a, a Mount Rushmore of Soundgarden songs. 
Okay, like my like my uh, top five. Yeah, top five. Sure, we can do it that way. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, number one, I'll have to go with Fourth of July because I think that's one of my favorite songs uh, of all time. I put that up there with "Come Together" by the Beatles and uh, "Highway to Hell" by also ACDC. Like it, that has to be one of my all-time favorite songs. I can hear it fifty zillion times, and I still absolutely love hearing it. So that's, that has to be number one. And also the uh, story behind it, which is included in the book, is very interesting. What the lyrical inspiration that Chris was writing about is a, a very cool story. So that I'm going to put with number one. And he loved that then, one too, um, right? I'm sorry. That's one so that, that you mentioned in the book that that's maybe the one Chris says he's most proud of. As a, a, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, Kim uh, said that recently. Oh, Kim. Yeah, so okay. I also included that in the book. Yes, yeah, exactly. And yes, yeah, so that's number one. Then... I mean, as far as the definitive what's two, three, four, I'm not 100% sure, but I'll just tell you four, four other songs that I absolutely love sure. by them. I yep. love Searching With My Good Eye Closed. Interestingly, when I first heard it, when Bad Murder Finger first came out, I didn't get it and didn't really, didn't really care for it that much. But when I saw them on the Bad Murder Finger tour at Roseland here in uh, New York, they actually opened up with it, and it, told, it something clicked in my mind, and it totally made sense, and uh, that's also a Soundgarden song I can here 50 zillion times, and I absolutely love it. It's uh, such a cool original song. I love the, 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 the beginning with that strange speaking part. It's just uh, absolutely fantastic. That, that one is a great one. I also love uh, the song called uh, Head Down. I think that's one of Ben Shepard's best uh, songs ever. That has a great Beatle-type vibe. Very, very big fan of that song. That, for some reason, people tend to always not consider that when they talk about the great Soundgarden songs, but I think that's an absolute masterpiece. So that's number three. Um, let me think. Uh, Jeremy Taggart, who was the drummer for Our Lady Peace, told me he thinks that's Matt Cameron's best work in Soundgarden, that song. That is a, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, see, that, uh, you, you, uh, earlier before you mentioned that in the book I talked about that I wasn't that big a fan of the Louder Than Love album. And one of the reasons why I list that uh, in, in the book that it's not one of my favorites is because I think that Matt Cameron's drumming was not showcased properly. He, there's nothing outstanding about his drumming on the album. Meanwhile, he's one of the best drummers ever in rock. So I think that was a definite missed opportunity that they didn't somehow work that in there a little bit better. But. That's just a little small thing I'll just throw in there. But <laughs> all right, so anyway, uh, number four, I'll probably go with the song "Birth Ritual," which was uh, that's from on the uh, list. soundtrack. Yep, that's, that's on my a list. fantastic song, and so good. even better than the studio version is uh, when they reissued singles on Blu-ray about maybe four or five years ago. Um, that song they included as a live version, and you actually see Soundgarden playing it in a small club, and I think that version may even be better than what's on the uh, single soundtrack, because Chris Cornell is all over the stage, and he's swinging on pipes, and he's going crazy, and it's just, I think it adds a whole entire kind of dangerous, a, a, a added dangerous vibe to it, so I'll go with that as number four. And then uh, number five, uh, hmm, let me think of one. Think about this now for a second, because this is my uh, this, this is going to be my uh, final one, right? So I yeah. have to think of something special with this, right? Well, I, while you're thinking, I was going to tell you that you mentioned the, the birth ritual live. I kind of feel that way about Beyond the Wheel, the live version mm -hmm. that's on the um, is it the Spoonman single? One of the singles from Super Unknown has a live version from Toronto on that. Uh, which I think is just so great. I, I I listen to that more than I listen to the album version, but I, I do love the album version too. But 
I just yeah, thought of you that know, while I you were saying that. I was actually going to say that, yeah, and, and uh, I am absolutely familiar with that version. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I would maybe go with that uh, for number five, or maybe I would go with, um, I was always a very big fan of this song called Flower, too. That, I think, is a uh, great, great song, too. So I would say a two-way tie between the live version of Beyond the Wheel, which is from the, uh, it, I can't recall, but I don't think it's the Spooman single. It, it was at the... Um, Might be Black Hole Sun, yeah, man. It's one of those... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one yeah, of those. Exactly. I think, uh, it's either, I think it's either one of the Black Hole Sun singles yeah. or Day I Try to Live. Or, yeah, one of those. Yeah, so I'll go with the live version of Beyond the Wheel, which was a B-side, or Flower. And why don't we make it a three-way tie there? <laughs> there was a, <laughs> there was a uh, obscure B-side called Kyle Petty, Son of Richard that yep. uh, never really seemed to get any kind of uh, props. And I think that's a, a fantastic song. And that shows how much of a strong album Super Unknown was that they were able to cut off songs that on pretty much any other band's album would have been one of the top top songs. So that that song, I think, is uh, great as well. I always thought that was the strength of Pearl Jam as well, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, where they have so many songs that aren't on albums that could easily show up on a fan's, you know, um, top ten. Like I saw a Pearl Jam show at Wrigley Field last summer, or well, I guess two summers ago now, and they played five songs from the 10 era that weren't on 10, you know, and, right. <laughs> and uh, they went over just as well as, you know, the other ones. But yeah, that's, I think that's the strength of, of those bands. Um, Absolutely. There's a part in the book and maybe we, we got, we're running out of time here, but there's a part in the book where you talk about uh, Chris talking about how Kurt Cobain, you know, if he could have just hold out, held out a month, you know, like if mm. maybe his life is so different. And with Kurt Cobain, it feels like we could, if he could have only held out that night, you know, it almost seems like from everything I read. Now, I've, you wrote about how you found out on Blabbermouth. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning to go to the bathroom and I took my phone with me to look up the set list from the Detroit show because I was just curious what they had played. And that's how, like, that's how I found out, you know, and, um. But yeah, it just seemed like such a in the moment kind of a decision. You know, maybe not. Maybe he, you know, people point to the in my time of dying tag on um the on the last song as maybe a clue that it was more premeditated, but I don't know, like at one minute he wants his TV fixed, you know, and then the next minute he's gone. It just it feels like that maybe, you know, if he could have made it through that night, he might still be here. I don't know. Any thoughts on the end of Chris Cornell and uh, you know, you you make the point in the book, obviously, his quote about Cobain, and that just made me think of that. Um, actually, as I was getting ready to talk to you, I thought of that. Right. Well, Jeff, Jeff uh, Ament once told me a great quote, and it was first in the book called Grunge is Dead, and I reused it in this book called uh, Dark, Black, and Blue. When he was talking about uh, Kurt, uh, Kurt's suicide, that he said, um, you can't really, I mean, I, I don't know the uh, the exact precise quote, but it was something to the effect of, uh, unless you're someone that suffers from depression and you wind up doing this, then, or just if you're someone that is suffering from depression, you can't really decide someone's actions unless you actually walk in these person's shoes kind yep. of type thing. Yep, I know yeah, that I mean, again, quote. That, that, yep. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that isn't the uh, precise quote, but that's pretty much the meaning of it. So that really is how I look at, you know, pretty pretty much Kurt Cobain's suicide and also Chris's suicide. But um, yeah, the thing that I also probably mentioned in the book, too, is uh, for me, just as a fan, when I, or not when I first found out, but after thinking about it for a while, 
I also came to the conclusion, who's to say that this maybe wasn't the first time that either Chris, uh, Chris tried to commit suicide or either, you know, had this thought, like we don't know, because in my book I talk about, there's actually several uh, quotes that I've used from past magazine articles throughout the years that he actually references either suicide or, you know, if I were to ever kill myself, blah, blah, blah. So similar to actually Kurt Cobain, he did talk about it. And there's also, like I talk about in the book, there were several song titles or also lyrics that obviously also reference suicide, most obviously the song called Like Suicide, which yeah. is the last song on the uh, Super Unknown album. Mm -hmm. So you know, now, sadly, there are a lot of comparisons between Kurt and also Chris because they both talked about it in interviews, wrote about it in songs, So, you know, and then they ultimately both wound up committing suicide, too. So yeah, it's very sad. I mean, I just wish that uh, both of them were still here. But, uh, yeah, Chris, uh, and I talk about this, too, in the book, is uh, one of the main reasons why I did this book about Soundgarden called Dark, Black, and Blue is... Uh, Chris's death really did hit me hard. I mean, so far in my life, there's been two rock-related deaths that really hit me so hard that it felt like it was actually someone that I personally knew dying, and that was Shannon Hoon of the band Blind Melon, who I was a, a huge, huge fan of, and actually wrote a book about Shannon Hoon called uh, A Devil on One Shoulder and An Angel on the Other, which came out about 10 years ago. And then the second one, which is the most recent one, which is, of course, Chris's death, uh, because, again, it, I guess I associated so much with both their music. I also found them to be incredible talents, and it's just uh, absolutely sad that, uh, you know, both died. And then also when you, you know, realize both had families, so it's just uh, very sad, absolutely. I have the quote here. It's, unless you have been manic depressive, I don't think you can fully comprehend those sorts of actions, is what Jeff said. Uh, yes, the exactly. The Chris Cornell death was definitely the hardest of any like celebrity at all, music or anything in my life. Um, and uh, it took me a long time even to come back to his music. He was here playing a solo show at UB. Um, it was his last solo tour. I don't remember the year, but I, I didn't plan on going. And then I'm a huge New Orleans Saints fan, and they lost just like a ridiculous game that day. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going down there. I need to just immerse myself in something other than football right now. And I just like, right. thank God every time, you know, that I did that and got to see that last show. Mm -hmm. And then I was one of the lucky yeah. people at Pearl Jam 20 who got to see, you know, him play, um, hunger strike. Mm -hmm. Well, they, they technically they did play it again at bridge school, but it was the last, I guess, full band electric version of the, of the song that they did together. But, um, right. Uh, Greg, this, went by quick uh we'll have to do it again because there's so much more we need to get to in terms of your career and everything you've wrote and everything you're into and we didn't get to talk at all about your love of new york sports and the cool books you've wrote about the islanders and the jets and um uh who else you got another sports book in there the sack exchange book the dynasty book yeah. and i'm missing one help me I out i did books on the mets, jets, the mets islanders and the all the yankees yeah, yeah. Uh, all four of those but you can find Greg on Twitter. He's at Greg, P-R-A-T-O, writer there. Uh, his new book, yeah. obviously, about Kiss, like we said, is out today. Uh, you can find that on Amazon. All his books are just unbelievable Christmas gifts if you want to go that route. Uh, like I said, I've read four, five, six of them now. Oh, you were mentioning your your book about Blind Melon and the sports author Jeff Perlman uh, on this program once talked about how he had just finished reading that book. Um, and, yes. and it took him out of the, uh, he was thinking maybe he would want to write something about, uh, blind melon and he read your 
book. You mentioned that on this show, so I just thought I'd share that. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm actually a friend. I'm friendly with Jeff online, and I'm also a fan of his writing. He wrote one of the best Mets books ever called The Bad, Bad Guys, Guys One, Run. which is yeah. one of my favorite sports books ever. Yeah, he's a, he's a friend of the show. I, I was actually a subject of the Quaz earlier this year. Um, okay. Yeah, so a lifelong honor for me. Uh, but, um, yeah, anything else you want to plug? It's at Greg, P-R-A-T-O, writer on Twitter. Like we said, the Kiss book is out. Uh, this Soundgarden book is awesome. I don't know if I did this interview right. It was almost like we were just sitting next to each other just bullshitting about stuff. Um, but that seemed fun. Um, well, like I said, anything else you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, before you mentioned Pearl Jam, there was a book that came out a couple of years back called 100 Things Pearl Jam Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die that came out through Triumph uh, Books. So uh, maybe that would be of interest to people who enjoy uh, Soundgarden as well. Yeah, I'd be surprised if I haven't done at least 98 of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I've... Like 83 shows. I feel like I've gotten a lot checked off. Uh, Greg, this was awesome. I want to do it again. I want to talk to you more about music and books and things like this. Uh, maybe we'll find a time when you're not as busy with a book that just came out. Uh, we'll block out an hour and just geek out for a while. But thank you so much for letting us read this book with you and promote it with you. And um, best success. And hopefully uh, we can do it again soon. Yep. And also long live Chris Cornell. Alright, I want to thank Greg Prado and Jimmy Trainer for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can hear this podcast and all of our nine seasons of episodes on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can find me on Twitter at sports underscore casters or email me the sportscasters at gmail.com. We're also on Spotify now. Uh, so please find us there or Stitcher or Apple Podcasts. And if you can give us a five-star review, I would appreciate that. Uh, my friend Peter Winston is the host of a wonderful wrestling show called Greetings from Allentown. Follow him on Twitter at GFAllentownPod. His newest episode is his first attempt to tackle a pay-per-view. And I like how, despite it being Thanksgiving time and Survivor Series season, he went with Royal Rumble 92, uh, which is uh, probably the best Royal Rumble, if you asked me. Uh, so check that out. Again, it's at GF Allentown Pod. Uh, my friend Adrian Dater, it's ColoradoHockeyNow.com. You can find him at a Dater on Twitter, at COLHockeyNow as well. Uh, the Place to Be Nation podcast. It's on Twitter, at the word place, the number two, the word B, and the word nation. Uh, P-L-A-C-E 2 B-E-N-A-T-I-O-N. The website is all words, place to be nation.com, and they are getting ready to fire up their new tournament, uh, which is a sitcoms tournament, the best sitcoms of all time. Uh, and place to be nation has also recently joined uh, Spotify, so find them there. All right, I mentioned at the top that for one last thing, I was going to be a little bitter and angry today. And talk about things people say on the internet that drive me nuts. Like hold my beer, for for example. I think I, I said that was an example. Uh, but then I remember that Thanksgiving is Thursday. 
Uh, so why not, instead of being so angry and negative, despite the fact that it would probably be funnier, uh, we're going to end this show one last thing today with just me being thankful about stuff. What am I thankful for in 2019? Well, I'm going to tell you right off the top, I'm thankful for my health. Uh, it's been a tough year, uh, but I'm still breathing and I'm still walking uh, and I still get to spend every day with my daughter and my wife and my dog. Uh, and it's not easy, but uh, it's a battle I'm winning, uh, and it's a battle I work hard at every day. Uh, and despite another surgery coming, which will be my third in 289 days, man, there's so many more people out there who have it worse. Uh, so I'm grateful for what I have. Also, I mentioned my family, and I'm so blessed. I have a wife who's one of the few people on earth who hasn't gotten sick of me. God bless her. Uh, she takes care of me and loves me more than just about anyone. Uh, and I can't be more thankful uh, for that. And, of course, my daughter, who's the light of my life. Uh, she's the sweetest little three-year-old girl you'll ever find. And she's starting to love Pearl Jam. God bless her. Um, man, I can't say enough about how much I love her. And, of course, my loyal companion, Colston, uh, who, of course, is the fourth member of the family here. Uh, the Coley boy is just such a good boy. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for our house. We built it in 2010, uh, which means on July 4th will be our 10-year anniversary here. It also means we're one-third of the way through our mortgage, which is kind of cool. Uh, 20 years to go on that, although hopefully we can find a way to pay that off early uh, because that would be cool. Um, what else? Look, at I'm thankful for this podcast. I've done it for a long time now, since 2011, and I'm still here doing it. And I'm thankful that uh, guys like Joe Tessitore and Joe Buck will come on. I'm thankful that Awful Announcing wrote about it a couple weeks ago. I'm thankful for everyone who hears my voice right now and is willing to listen to it. I do the best I can, and I'm sure there's a few you I promised books to this year and I haven't got them. But I always tell anyone I offer a book to, please remind me. Uh, because I do forget and I get lazy about it and I don't get out to the post office that much. Because it closes is a weird time in relation to when Tammy comes home and it's just a pain in the butt. But please, if I owe you one, don't be afraid to ask me, uh, hey, didn't you say you are going to send me a book? Because I do have stuff laying around I'd love to kind of clear out. Uh, but thank you to everyone who listens. It means a lot to me. If you ever email me at thesportscasters at gmail.com, I always write back as soon as I can. Or if you interact with me on Twitter, um, it really means a lot to me that of the 700,000 podcasts out there, You'd even consider listening to this one, whether it be one time or five times or every week. I'm thankful that there's someone out there besides my mother uh, willing to do it. I'm thankful for my mother and my brothers and my family in general. Uh, and, of course, I'm thankful for the Saints and Drew Brees. Drew Brees has been our quarterback since 2006, and he had his 50th fourth quarter uh, game-winning uh, drive today. It's been such an honor to be his fan. I got to meet him a few weeks ago in New Orleans. We talked about that. Uh, I'm thankful for Pearl Jam and all the music I love. Music is undefeated. Uh, music never loses. 25 years of Vitalogy. Uh, maybe next week for one last thing. Uh, we'll talk about Vitalogy and maybe rank the songs. Uh, go into that album a little while. Uh, because it, technically it was released on the 22nd, but just on vinyl. And then it sold over 30,000 copies on vinyl, uh, which was hard to do in 1994. And then uh, two weeks later, it came out on CD and cassette uh, and sold 870,000 copies, which is the second most uh, behind only verses. Uh, but we'll talk more about Vitalogy. But 
I love music and uh, I love silly things like the Karate Kid and the A-Team. And I'm thankful to the guy who gave me 2,000 hours on Google Drive of old Howard Stern shows. Isn't that amazing? I'm thankful for wrestling podcasts. I love to listen to them. Um, I'm thankful for podcasts in general. It's kind of a cool, fun medium because I've always loved listening to radio. Uh, and now you can do it like without commercials mostly. Uh, what else? I don't know. It's been a good year. Uh, and I'm thankful f- just to still be here, I guess, uh, more than anything. Uh, you can't beat that. <laughs> Especially when you're in my shoes. It's like, all right, I woke up from another surgery. They didn't lose me on the table once again. Victory. But no, seriously, thanks to everyone uh, who listened this year. Uh, and who will maybe listen next year. Can't believe this thing is still going. I'm actually going to ECC South where I uh, was a student for a very short period of time in a couple weeks uh, to meet with them about something for the website or something about the show. Uh, So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, But I can't believe I'm still doing it. I can't believe someone out there is still listening to it. I hope everyone has a great time with their families gets a good meal in and watches the Saints uh, beat the Falcons uh, as the nightcap on Thursday. Uh, But have a great week. Have a great Thanksgiving. Face the path of